You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a, wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. And his schlong got off scot-free for too long Until that day it worked off dressing room First he flirts, then assaults, slams her up against the walls And then denies it, sealing his own Then mistakes her for his wife She kept the dress and swore of sex since then Oh, they won't test his DNA So instead she'll make him pay He grabbed the wrong darn pussy once again Oh, it's Founder Singh. Sorry, they deserve a little bit of uh, applause for that. You know, I had mixed feelings bringing you that one today because it's it's not a funny subject. Actually, the trial has begun, um, and E. Jean Carroll was on the stand today. There are no... um, there are no cameras allowed in the courtroom. So we are, you know, we just have tweets to go by. And I'll tell you something. It is, it's really sad. Um, again, the founder sing, very funny. It was really, you know, very creative. And apparently they were listening and they turned that around really quickly. But let me share with you. Uh, some tweets from the account of Adam Klasfeld. He tweets at Klasfeld, K-L-A-S-F-E-L-D, reports. And um, this morning, 11.03 a.m., here's what he tweeted. Um, he writes, E. Jean Carroll next, morning recess now. And then it comes back. 
And he's quoting E. Jean Carroll, and she says, I'm here because Donald Trump raped me. That's the first tweet in the thread. It goes on. The early part of, uh, uh, early part of Carroll's testify, testify, uh, testimony goes into her life and career until questioning pivots to this photo of her, Donald Trump, her ex-husband, John Johnson, and Trump's ex-wife, Ivana. I'm not going to show it to you just because I'll screw something up and I'll lose the thread. Um, But it's a photo of the four of them. Carol describes her impression of Trump as being a, quote, raconteur and man about town. She believed him to be a sophisticated man who was entertaining to be around. The question to her was, did you find him attractive? And she said, yes. Why? He was very personable. Asked about the timing of the alleged rape, Carol acknowledges that she struggled to remember the date, and she delves into context clues without a firm answer until Trump's attorney, Joe Takapinas, that's Takopina, but, you know, where the shoe fits, um, uh, Judge Taka, Taco Pina objects. Judge Kaplan adopts a wait-and-see approach and allows her to continue. Carol says she believes it was spring 1996 because her friend Lisa Bernback published an article about Trump in February of that year, which involved a trip to Mar-a-Lago. Bernback was one of two women Carol says she told about the alleged rape when it happened. Quote, I believe that Lisa never would have gone down to Mar-a-Lago if she knew what Trump had done to me, she says. Objection overruled. Carol said that the encounter began when she was leaving the store and Trump raised his hand up, imitating what she called the universal signal, whatever that means. After Trump recognized her as the, quote, advice lady, she replied, hey, yeah, you're that real estate tycoon, she said. Much of this testimony mirrors her deposition on the subject, including um, uh, Trump allegedly mocking her when she revealed her age. Um, you are so old, Carol quoted him saying, calling his inflection humorous. After they went into the store to help Trump find a gift for a woman, Carol says Trump picked up a see-through gray bodysuit. It looks like a swimsuit, but this was see-through, she said. It used to be called Teddy's. She says Trump said, go put this on. She called the remark jesting, joshing. She says she she replied, you put it on, it's your color. And then Carol said, I started looking on it as a Saturday Night Live sketch. Donald Trump was being very light, very joshing and pleasant and very funny. Question, just to be clear, was Trump dragging you into the dressing room? Answer, no. Asked if she was flirting with Trump, she agrees that she was. Asked if things were escalating, she replied that the, quote, comedy was escalating. Carol says that the opening of the door, quote, plagued her because she, quote, walked into it. She says Trump shoved her against the wall, adding that she was then extremely confused. She said, quote, I continued to laugh because for a minute I thought maybe it was a mistake. She continued, he was very large. He leaned down and pulled down my tights. I was pushing him back. It was quite clear that I didn't want anything else to happen. Question. At any point during this encounter, do you recall saying no? Answer. Softly. No. She adds, I don't recall saying it, adding that she might have. Asked if she screamed, Carol said, I'm not a screamer. And then she said, and then she said, he pulled down my tights and his hand, his fingers went into my vagina, which was extremely painful. He curved his fingers, she says. And then she said, as I'm sitting here today, I still feel it. Question, then what happened? Then he inserted his penis. This is disgusting. I mean, disgusting. Do I have any doubt that this happened? None whatsoever. Because we know who she's talking about, the guy who likes to grab him by the pussy. So uh, it, I felt weird about playing that founder sang song at the beginning, although I needed a bit of levity. But wow. And um, it's apparent that Donald Trump isn't there in the courtroom. He doesn't have to be. But 
this is where we are. This is just so sick. I mean, and, and I have no doubt that this man did that. So this is where we are today. Welcome to 2023. I thought 2020 couldn't, you know, we couldn't get any worse than that. But we're just in just a, such an ugly place. Um, yeah, and Diane in the chat room says, too often when women are just being friendly, men think they're coming on to them. I get that she was flirting and having fun. She thought it was funny. They both knew each other's spouses. Um, and yes, who would boast about something like that? Um, by the way, the two women that she talked about, you know, when Laffey mentioned yesterday, Carol Martin, I thought, could that be the newscaster? There was a woman on the air, I think at the NBC affiliate in New York City named Carol Martin for decades. She was there back when I lived in New York. And it is that same woman. She told her when when E. Jean Carroll confided in her friend that Don, Donald Trump had raped her, she, um, Carol Martin, told E. Jean Carroll, do not report this. He's too connected. He's too powerful. He will destroy you. I'll tell you, there's one other really, really sad part. And let me see if I can't find this because it's... It's really sickening. At some point, and, and, and again, let me see if I can, uh, I can find, it was under that same account. Maybe I just lost, it's a different thread perhaps. Let's see if I can find it. Because um, at, at one point, Eric Trump tweeted something about Carol's lawyer, and the judge issued a stern warning to Trump's lawyer, Joe Taco Penis, saying that uh, posts... The Post could put the ex-president and conceivably his son in harm's way. Um, but here, let me share with you just a little more because, oh, there's an update from just a few minutes ago. Um, Judge Kaplan issues a big ruling before jury re-enters from afternoon recess. Trump cannot draw out testimony about E. Jean Carroll's litigation financed by LinkedIn billionaire Reed Hoffman. So that's good. They, they wanted to bring up the fact that her, her defense, that her case was financed by a, you know, a donor, a big money guy on the left. I know it's unusual because there aren't many of them. And if there are, they keep their, you know, pockets closed. They don't support, you know, progressive media or anything like they do on the right, just saying. Um, I, okay. I need to find, there's other stuff I'm seeing here. Um, at one point, Carol on Trump's remarks, quote, how he demeaned her after she came out with her story. I lost my reputation. Nobody looked at me the same. It was gone. She describes those who looked at her with pity and others who did so with hatred. The force of hatred coming at me was staggering, she says, drawing out that last word. Um. Okay, I, I got to find. Okay, I got to find this other quote. Basically, what I'm looking for is um, at, at one point somebody, and I don't know which attorney asked her this, if it was Trump's attorney or her own, asked her, "Have you have you been in have you been in a romantic relationship since?" And she said, "No." And he said, "Why not?" And she said, "Because Donald Trump raped me." Um, I, 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 you know, how do you, how do you, how does somebody live with that? I, I, look, I don't understand her not going public with it because that's the first thing I would do. Um, but you know, this was 30 years ago and, um, you know, it sounds like she had a, t uh, she had a tough life beginning, you know, before this and this just did it. She says, okay. Uh, Carol's voice cracks as she describes what she calls her private self. That's the one that can't admit out loud that there's been any suffering. As for her public persona, she says, that's my front. I'm invincible. I solve other people's problems. And then here it is. After she was flirting, she says she got into trouble. Here's a quote. It's impossible. It's impossible for me to even look at a man and smile. Asked. If she ever had sex since then, she says no. 
Have you had a romantic relationship since the assault? No. Why? The short answer is because Donald Trump raped me. Uh, I, 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 I'm speechless. I, I, you know, this man deserves all the bad shit that one can rain down on a person. I hope this is just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg, because, of course, there are a lot of other, I believe, prosecutions coming. But wow. You know, wow. No, she hasn't been able to move on. It, uh, it's so disturbing. And you know what? Look, I'm, I'm, I get it. I get it. You know, um, uh, I, I probably shouldn't say anything. By the way, um, if you generally listen to uh, my What's News feature, I think I think yesterday was its final episode because, um, well, we can go into it further. Um, it, it's just, it, it, I, I'm, I'm going to incorporate it into the show. So anyway, I see our guest is here. We've had all these technical problems. So this is, look, John Perkins... Um, has been on the show three times before. I went back and checked, and we didn't have any problems any of those times. Um, but uh, last week, I screwed up the the booking. I I conflated two dates and got the wrong one. Um, and then Monday, the the gremlins took over my studio, so uh, that didn't work. And now he's back today. And I'll tell you what: before I bring him on, um, I hope he doesn't mind. I want to play this short video for you. It's not there is a video up at johnperkins.org, which is his website, that's kind of a trailer for the new book. And the new book is actually a the third edition of his, his most famous work, um, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And before we get to him, I thought instead of me asking, as I did, I think, each of the three times we've spoken before to define what an economic hitman is, somebody put together a really cool animation that sort of explains it. And so I want to share that with you. I hope, I hope, I hope John doesn't mind because uh, I think it's really well done. I don't think it's his, but um, obviously the, the producers of this video are fans. So here it is, an introduction to the economic hitman. Hitmen have managed to create the world's first truly global empire, and it's basically a secret empire. We do it many ways, but, but, but principally, uh, we identify a country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil, range a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sisters. The money never actually goes to the country. It goes to our own corporations to build big infrastructure projects in that country that help a few very wealthy people but don't benefit the majority of the people who are too poor to buy electricity or have cars to drive on the highways, and yet they're left holding a huge debt that they can't repay. So we go back at some point and say, you know, you can't pay your debts. Give us a pound of flesh. Sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies. Vote with us on the next critical UN vote. Allow us to build a military base in your backyard. Something along these lines. And when we fail, the jackals go in and either overthrow or assassinate these leaders. And if the jackals fail, as they did in, in, in Iraq, then they'll be sent in the military. I don't think the failure is capitalism. I think it's a specific kind of capitalism that we've developed. We've created what I consider a mutant viral form of capitalism. And this mutant form of capitalism, which I think is really a predatory form of capitalism, has created an extremely unstable, unsustainable, unjust, and, and very, very dangerous world. Uh, I've met a lot of terrorists. I've interviewed them for books. I've never met one who wanted to be a terrorist. They're desperate people. If we want to get rid of terrorism, we must get rid of the root causes, that cancer that is destroying our whole system. Because I think it's really important that we understand today we cannot have homeland security unless we understand that the whole planet is our homeland. Yes, we can't have homeland security unless we understand that the whole planet is our homeland. Um, oh, uh, oh, oh, hold on. I've got I've got a double audio coming back. See, this is this is <laughs> this is the bane of my existence. Hold on one second. OK, that the whole planet. No. OK, now I, I have. I, see, John, I'm normally not this crazy. I'm not this flaky. I'm not. OK, I got it now. 
There we go. Now I can bring you in and there's no double audio. John Perkins, uh, author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman and a number of other books and now the third edition. Welcome back to the show. And I'm so sorry for all the uh, uh, the problems getting you back here. Um, but shit happens and here we are. So hi, welcome back. But now I'm not hearing you. Oh, man. Okay. So you're not muted. But I do not hear any audio coming from I, you. I, there I you was are. Muted. There, yay! Okay, I, 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 muted. I, I, I muted myself. I'm uh, sorry. That's um, that's no problem. That car, during that cartoon, I didn't want to, you know, shout at the, during the cartoon. But anyway, it's great to be with you again. And the cartoon is fantastic. Yeah, you're right. I had nothing to do with making it except they used my voice without my permission. Oh, that's fine. I'm very happy. I love that cartoon. It's fantastic, and it really does tell the story. It's a little embarrassing. To think that, you know, I wrote, I spent a lifetime writing a book, basically. I mean, I wrote other books, too. But, um, you know, something like 250, 300 pages. And they told the whole story in two minutes. <laughs> now, <laughs> do, were you not aware of that video? You've seen that before, hadn't you? Yes, yes okay. I've seen it. I've used it at places. And, and I try to get in touch with them and ask them to make one about China's economic hitmen, which is the, the you know, one the of the subject main of the new book, the new right? Book. But uh, they seem to have gone out of existence, the people who made that. I don't know. Oh, they, no. Well, it's very well done. And yes, it is your voice. And it does. It, it, uh, it, it, it gives the, uh, the definition of what an economic hitman is. Because that, now, did you come up with that phrase to describe the work you did as the chief economic officer at one of these big corporations? Or is that a well-known, in-use term? Well, my trainer, uh, Claudine Mar- Martin, or Martinez, who I talk about a lot in, in, bo- in, all, in all three of the books because she was a remarkable <laughs> trainer, um, she used the term. And she said, you know, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek term. You know, we don't put that on our business cards. It's kind of like, you know, spies don't put sp- spy or spook on their business card. <laughs> But but they uh, when they get together over a few cocktails and there's t- t- two or more CIA assets, they may say, "Hey, you know, you're another, another, it's good to meet you, and it's good to have my, meet meet another spook." You know, it's it's um it's so it's it's a term that we we did use sometimes, but it certainly isn't an official term. Gotcha. And I, and I but- quite a lot of people use it today. And now it's, it's, you know, it's synonymous when we hear, well, at least when I hear economic hitman, of course, I think of you, John Perkins, by the way, need to pass along a comment from the chat room where Kate says, tell John Perkins that we loved having him at UWSP University of Stevens Point for a week. He did such a beautiful job of lectures and socializing with us. So thank you. That's from Kate. Thank you. So now you've been at this game for a long time. And so again, the third edition of Confessions of an Economic Hitman is just out. It's got 12 new chapters and it deals with China, who we've learned is now um, sort of, uh, I'm overgeneralizing here, but taking over the world. Um, As you put it, you said, um, um, this focuses on China, who've learned from our successes and our failures and has become the number one trading partner and investor all over the world. Uh, That's an oversimplification, but that's fact, yes? Yes, it's fact. They they are not overtaking us. They've overtaken us. Now, their economy is still somewhat smaller than ours, uh, but their their reach in the world is, is, is much greater. I happen to have here a map. Um, I don't know whether you can. Yeah, couldn't see that. Yeah. So, and you can see, so the, the red lines are the China's outreach. The blue lines are the U.S.'s. And the U.S. has a pretty big outreach in Europe. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. China's everywhere else. And China now is the number one trading partner in 124 countries versus our 56 countries. Um, and that's all happened since 2012 when when Xi Jinping became the leader of China. So it's been a very rapid uh, development on their part. And um, it's been phenomenal. I mean, their economic hitmen have done a much more efficient job than we ever did. And and as you said, they learned from our successes and failures. I taught at a business school, an MBA program in China a few years back, and I realized that one of the things they wanted to learn from me was what, what I'd done that I was considered good, right, how, how successful, and, and what mistakes I had made, because they wanted to learn from both of those. 
Um, and, uh, you know, good for them for learning. Uh, it seems that all too often our elected officials don't learn from history, from past mistakes. You know, look, we all make mistakes. I try to pride myself on if I fuck something up, at least I learn a lesson from it and I try not to do it again. We seem to be, you know, repeating the same crap over and over again and don't don't learn our lessons. Uh, is this part of the what you're telling us? Is like, learn from history? Don't make the same mistakes again? Yeah, I, I, that's absolutely true. But I, I also think we have an, an additional problem, and that is that we we don't even really think so much. Americans in general don't really think that much about the rest of the world. We're very, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're very uh, nationalistic, almost self-centered. And, you know, there's good reasons for that. We, we, we have a country that has amazing resources, and we're extremely privileged as a country to have the resources we have, to have to have ports on both the Atlantic and the Pacific. No, nobody else has that, hmm. except, except uh, Central American countries. Right. And, but none of the major powers. And uh, we have these, this vast river system that's been extremely important to the development of this country. Uh, we, and we don't have any enemies on our borders. You know, we haven't fought Mexico or Canada in over 100, well over 100 years. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, we have this amazing advantage of other countries, and we, we look very much inward to that. Uh, we have not really suffered pollution the way that China has. These Chinese students that I was teaching, they know what pollution is. They don't want it for their children and grandchildren. And incidentally, they're determined to get rid of pollution. Wow. Uh, because they, they? They, they've, they've suffered through it. And I think another problem we have here is, you know, our, 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 our form of government can't seem to make decisions. There's, there's this lack of compromise Uh you know, if, once China decides to do something like implement electric cars or solar or wind or anything else, they just they do it. <laughs> it happens very quickly. Here we we argue over it for years. But in in all of the um the the Kyoto Accords and the Copenhagen seminar, you know, the sessions and things like that, I'm always hearing that it's the United States and China who are the biggest polluters, and we refuse to come to the table and do anything meaningful to fight it. Is that true? Is China is China doing the right things and we're not? Well, first, it's absolutely true that we, we the two countries together contribute about 45% of the world's economy and about the same amount of the world's pollution. Hmm. And uh, in recent years, uh, Bloomberg, which is a fairly conservative economic uh, um, media outlet, uh, wrote an article that said in the last seven years, China has reduced carbon carbon pollution more than the United States has in 30 years. So again, something Americans don't realize is that the Chinese are doing this. We, we hear a lot about all the coal plants they're building, and they still are building coal plants. So it's not a black and white thing, Nicole, and I don't want to portray China as being the good guy in all of this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, the subtitles to my book are the, the, the third uh, in the tr- economic hitman trilogy are Chinese economic hitman strategy and how to stop the global takeover. Yes. And the global takeover is not just China's global takeover. It's it's the take, global takeover of the whole economic hitman strategy. Uh, and it's killing us. It's, it's destroying life on this planet as we know it. Whether China does it or the U.S. does it is, is having a huge negative impact. And, uh, you know, both countries are, are are competing, you know, to be the dominant economic power. And basically, it's a race to disaster. No one wins uh, this race that, that, that ultimately creates a dead planet. Right. And now, we're speaking with John Perkins. Again, the occasion is uh, the third edition of Confessions of an Economic Hitman. But, John, you're welcome here anytime. I, I always enjoy our conversations and I learn so much from you. You know, and when I saw that you were focusing on China, I thought, well, that makes sense. Everything we're hearing about China right now is alarming. Um, uh, Xi Jinping just made himself, I guess, dictator for life. I mean, he 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 won a third term of presidency, but he's made it clear he's not going anywhere as long as he's there. I felt a little relieved when Donald Trump was removed from office or was not reelected or whatever, Um, because if given the opportunity, he would do that, too. We're seeing a trend in the world toward strong men and authoritarian figures. 
obviously China is going there. Donald Trump wanted to go there. Uh, you look around the, the world, this is happening. Um, we've got the Republicans in this country, um, uh, um, you know, plotting with Viktor Orban and think, you know, it's just scary times. And is, is the whole democracy, um, uh, you know, dictatorship question part of this equation as well? Well, a major difference between China and the United States, Nicole, is that China has never had a democracy. It's it's been a dictatorship right. for several thousand years, actually, in one form or another. And uh, so they they're not headed toward a dictatorship. They they they've been there, and they don't know any, anything different. And for the most part, I find as I spend time in China, they, 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 most of the people there approve of that. That's what they want. They they want a strong leader. They they come from a Confucian background that says that if you obey what the father of the family says, and they say now the family is the country, and 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 they're hoping it'll be the world. They, they they're looking at the world as the family. And and the other side of that is that you do what's best for the community, not necessarily like in the United States, what's best for me as an individual. <laughs> so there's a major difference there in that pursuit. Uh, but I also, yes, I agree with you. Our democracy is in demise. I just came back from Latin America. I'm headed to give talks in, in Europe this summer. And wherever I go, I, I hear people say, you know, if the United States is a democracy, we don't want it. Yeah. It's it's dysfunctional. And and that's a terrible shame. I b- totally believe in democracy. I want to have a democracy, but our democracy is not working. And, you know, that's 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 a big problem. And that just feeds into China's hands. So, you know, several things have that we've done that have helped China. One is that we, after 9-11, we focused so much energy, money, and attention on Iraq and Afghanistan, the Middle East. And we sort of forget about Latin America and Africa. Who have, and they have all the resources that's necessary for the green economy. China, on the other hand, went deep into those countries. Uh, and now we've we've done something similar with Ukraine. And I'm not suggesting that we, we shouldn't be doing this. I, but I am saying that it's it's opened a huge door for China. Just within the last two weeks, China signed an incredible number of very, very important agreements with Brazil, which is the strongest country, the strongest economy in Latin America, and one of one of the strongest in the world. Uh, and they also signed a series of agreements with Bolivia. Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina are known as the lithium triangle. They have more lithium than any place else in the world. Wow. And as you know, lithium is essential to uh, to lithium ion batteries uh, right. that are used in electric cars and and so many other things in the computers, cell phones, things like yeah. that too. Right? Yeah. So so China's you know just stepped into these vacuums that we stepped away from all of this because we focused so much on Iraq and Afghanistan especially and and China China took huge advantage of that. We, we shot ourselves in the foot to a certain degree in many ways. And then and then this morning, so I'm looking at a, a, a news alert from the Washington Post this morning. Uh, alert. China's and Ukraine's leaders spoke by phone for the first time since Russia invaded Ukraine in what Zelensky called a meaningful talk. So good. I guess it's good that China's talking to Ukraine in addition to Russia because, you know, if it's too one sided and China and, and Russia get together against the, the democratic world, we're screwed. But um, China going into Ukraine I, it, it could this be a good thing, or I'm thinking it probably can't. Well, oh yeah, I think it's a good thing. Is uh, it- talking always good, you know. Again, I, I here when I travel, and, and there was a, a meeting of many countries, a security committee meeting in in Munich in December, and it was very interesting how the global South kind of came together and said, you know. Uh, what's good about China's relationship with Russia is that uh, uh, Xi Jinping is in a position to convince uh, Putin to, to to get out of this war, and you know it's it is more important I think that he meet that she she meet with uh, Putin because Putin's the aggressor, right? And you know it's I'm glad he met with Zelensky, but uh, the important one here is 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 Russia because Russia's you know trying to occupy. Uh, Ukraine, Ukraine isn't trying to occupy Russia. So, so the pressure has to be on Putin. And Xi Jinping, I think, is probably putting a lot of pressure on Putin. It doesn't seem to be accomplishing a lot so far, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But this, this war is not helping China. 
in most ways it, it is in terms of diverting our resources to Ukraine so that they can step into other places, but it's also really hampering their international trade and and, and all the supply networks that, that they've set up. It's 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 having a detrimental effect ultimately on on China. So they would like to see it end. In fact, they, Beijing released a twelve point proposal for ending the war. I'm not well versed enough on that to comment one way or another, but. Uh, uh, so, but that sounds like a good thing. Uh, anything yeah. that would get this war to stop would be a good yeah. thing. Yeah, I think it's sad that that you know we the United States is not not communicating with Russia. It's and uh, I, I understand why. I think this is a president. We, we we're in a presidential term here. It's an, you know officially the all the races have officially started. The two main candidates have announced, but and I think we're going to hear more and more people on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, trying to look tough on China. And I think that's extremely unfortunate. Hmm. China's not. I don't think China's a, an enemy. It's a competitor. But you know, China has never. Uh, exerted military power outside of its own sphere, places that it considers historically to be part of China. And unfortunately, that includes Taiwan and and uh, Tibet and parts of India and Hong Kong. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate. But but it does not have, it has not sent troops into Latin America or Africa or the Middle East. We have a terrible reputation for occupying countries. People don't like to be occupied. And uh, so I, I don't think China... To me, it's 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 definitely trying to dominate the world, but economically through trade uh, rather than militarily. And, and in many respects, we're driving China to have to increase its defense systems. Uh, they're, they're afraid of us. Let's face well, it. They are, but they, are they may us. be, but they're they're making a lot of noise around Taiwan. So what's happening with Taiwan is, I think, cause for concern. You know, um, I guess Kevin McCarthy went over there after Nancy Pelosi had gone over there. And both times it raised the ire of Beijing. And this time there were all kinds of military naval drills and stuff. Very threatening looking. Is this something to be really concerned about? Yeah, I think it's I think the United States, again, is making mistakes because imagine if China sent its its military fleet to to Cuba. As the Russians tried to, you know, militarize mm-hmm. Cuba back, and we didn't let them do it. Um, and and China's not doing that. But on the other hand, China is <laughs> taking Latin America by storm uh, economically. China owns the two two of the main uh, ports, um, uh, container ship ports, on both sides of the Panama Canal. It, it 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 controls wow. huge amounts of Latin America, but it doesn't do it militarily. It's much more subtle. It's doing it through e- economics, and so therefore, it doesn't trigger the kind of response from us that we trigger in China when we send military forces in or when we conduct joint operations with South Korea. Uh, I don't know what that you know is really trying to accomplish, other than to make uh, politicians in the United States look strong by 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 doing that. And you know, I mean. Do I want to see Taiwan taken over by China? Absolutely not. But, but I'm not sure that the way to 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 stop that from happening is to aggravate China by sending sending military forces right. around there. I mean, we we get extremely upset when China sent a balloon. Yes, <laughs> we did. Yeah, or several balloons maybe. But we've got we've got fleets, we've got military people all surrounding China essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't have the answers. I just know that what's happening doesn't seem right. And and I'm afraid for how that may be the next hot point on on the planet because uh, tensions are rising there. Um, John Perkins, you refer to this economy that we're in, the, the economy that's that's put in place by the economic hitmen as the death economy. You say climate change income inequality, species extinction, environmental destruction, all symptoms of the death economy, a symptom that's a system that's polluting and consuming itself into extinction in order to maximize short-term profits. That's what this is all about. It's short-term profits. We're seeing not only communities decimated here in the U.S., but countries around the world in the name of short-term profits. You also say that this is the best and most important book you've written and you explain how to transform the death economy into a life economy. So how do we do that? 
Well, first of all, yeah, that, that, that to me is the most important part of this book, that both China and the United States are creating a death economy. And it's bad both from both of them. So I'm not trying to defend either system. We've talked gotcha. about how China seems to be, you know, uh, surpassing us. But but the fact of the matter is uh, it, it, just this race, you know, no one wins on a dead planet. And the life economy, so the death economy is based on short-term profits, maximizing short-term profits and materialistic consumption. The life economy is based on maximizing long-term benefits to people and nature. And, you know, we've been moving in that direction. It, it, it pays people to clean up pollution, uh, to mine the plastic that's in the oceans, uh, to uh, regenerate destroyed environments, to, you know, restore rainforests, all forests and uh, coral reefs and so many other things. Oh, and it, to recycle and to come up with new technologies that don't ravage the earth. This is the life economy. And, you know, we've been moving in that direction, the, the, the non-fossil fuel mm-hmm. uh, transportation systems, uh, solar and wind power. We've made huge advances. Uh, and that's what has to happen. And so, um, you know, my point being that, that China and the United States both need to take a leadership role in this regard, not compete with it. Well, we can compete with each other on many levels, but not go to war with each other. I mean, that that does exactly the opposite. The problems for this world are climate change and income inequality and species extinctions, environmental things you mentioned, and those all are just symptoms. They're not the problem. They are problems. But the problem is this death economy. And to turn it around, we just have to redefine what it means to be successful. We don't have to go and live in caves. We don't have to cut back. We, we, we can continue to grow and, and have economic growth. But we need to make that growth be in areas that help starving people feed themselves. Please. And that- but, but but then I got to say, look at what we're doing. What we what part of this country is doing. I, I believe. Are you still still in Florida? No, I'm. I live on an island near Seattle. Oh, good for you. So you got out of this place because you know what's happening here. We have this yeah. governor who's just insane. And instead of dealing with climate change, look, two last week, two weeks ago now, we had massive rains like we hadn't seen before. Not from any hurricane. And I've lived through a few hurricanes. There was more rainfall in a two-week period, and it led to this flooding in Fort Lauderdale that they have never seen before. Well, this governor finally just yesterday or the day before, said he was applying for disaster relief. Well, took him long enough. He still hasn't visited Fort Lauderdale because he's off in Japan and going to Israel for whatever reason. I don't know. But he's so busy on about, um, you know, keeping kids from saying gay and keeping drag shows from happening that he's not dealing with any of those real existential problems that that are facing us here in florida like fort lauderdale being underwater um he's more interested in you know ratcheting up a fight over bud light you know doing an ad with a trans woman it's insane uh maybe some of our priorities are kind of screwed up well nick nicole i think you hit the the nail on the head yeah uh who's the enemy in florida is the enemy disney (laughs) <laughs> right, that's it. Now. And Disney's suing Florida now. Good. I hope Disney yeah. takes him to the cleaners. It's insane. It's I call it opposite world. It's just opposite world. If you nothing makes sense. If you do the mirror opposite, maybe there's some semblance of sanity, but not in this world. And this is happening around the country. Bans on trans people. Bans on you know giving kids health care instead of dealing with the issues that are killing the planet. This is what what the Republicans are concentrating on today. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's in all fairness, it's not just the Republicans that they are taking a lead for sure. But this country has a tendency, and it has particularly in more and more every decade, to hide its head in the sand, basically, to look at these small these issues that are important to certain people, to individuals, to certain people that have, you know, that they spend their lifetime dealing with some of these issues that you mentioned, but they're not important to our survival as a species. And climate change and this death economy, that is something that's important to our survival as a species. We are ignoring it. We're unlike the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world is really looking at this. 
Latin America, as, I, as in which I spent a lot of time in, is is twenty five percent renewable energy. Wow. The, the rest of the world, the world in total, is twelve percent. Country like Costa Rica, their 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 electricity is a hundred percent renewable, or wow. ninety nine percent. There's still a few little generating plants around, but yeah. And you know, you look at Europe, you, you look at most of the rest of the world, and the concern. And this again came out of that meeting in December where the Global South came out very, very strongly with a please focus on the important problems that are killing people and that are causing you, you focus on immigration problems by trying to stop immigrants. But the, the but the, the real way to stop immigration problems is to is to stop climate change and and also uh, just to, to stop the wars, to get to bring peace to countries. Right. It's, it's very, very interesting how how we have appeared to become very stupid as a species. And I think I hate to say this, but I think especially the United States, we, maybe stupid isn't the right word, but ignorance. Well, yeah, we've hidden us. We've become distracted, distracted. That's the right. Word. We okay. distract ourselves uh, with with things that really are not going to impact my grandson or great grandchildren. Uh, and um, and it's time to stop that and to turn it around. I, I couldn't agree more. So, but let me ask you this: because when we're talking China, obviously we can't talk about China in today's world without talking about COVID. Um, again, thanks to the former president, people blame Asians for COVID. You know, we have ridiculous violence against. Asian people here in the U.S. because because that guy called it the China virus. Um, however, it started, and I believe it did happen out of that market. But even if it happened in a lab, they do medical research. Shit happens. It's it, I think it's part of the, you know, the the risks of life. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, they took really extreme measures in terms of locking down the country, and and. And, and putting restrictions on where people could go and what they could do for a lot longer than the rest of the world did. And it still didn't really help, did it? I mean, it, how did China handle COVID? Do you think they did a good job of it? Uh, no, I don't think they did a good job of that. And I, I don't think anybody did a very good job of it. No, and, no. And we're still not. I mean, we're not. We're really not looking at it and looking at what, what future pandemics may come this way. Uh, again, I, I think it's a, it's a telling sign of the death economy. Nature is speaking out to us. You mm-hmm. mentioned the flooding in Florida. It was flat fires around the world. This yep. was flooding in in, in, uh, in California. And more and more hurricanes and stronger ones and tornadoes and fires and droughts and everything. And that's nature speaking out. And, and nature spoke out with this virus. Uh, you know, so it, it's speaking out on big levels, hurricanes. It's also speaking out on the microscopic level. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to be woo-woo and say that nature is, you know, has some voice that it's speaking out, but it is speaking out in one way or another. Whatever is causing that is uh, it, it, it's 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 hitting us hard. And I think people are becoming aware of that more and more, but we're not really doing much to stop it. You know, we're still not. What are we? We've still got uh, COVID. Yes, uh, you know, we I, do. I got, There's still. Two to three hundred people dying each day from COVID. Still, yeah, I have a couple of good friends that got it a couple of weeks ago, and and, you know, and and you go to places. I think you know, I've got friends in Florida, and they tell me that nobody wears masks in Florida. They don't. Nope. Out here, out here where I am, people do to some degree when they go to the grocery store if it's crowded and and places, but um, you know, I. And I'm not suggesting that mass is the answer. The real answer is to really look at what's causing these things to happen. And a virus like that is it, it's not just just happening because somebody spilled something in a laboratory or right. an animal appeared. You know, we, we don't know uh, what, what it was. You know, in the United States, uh, we've got a problem, especially on the East Coast, where I grew up and still spend my, a part of my summers in New Hampshire, a problem with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And the, the word for that, Lyme disease, comes out of the fact that the belief that a laboratory in Lyme, Connecticut, or near Lyme, Connecticut, a military laboratory, uh, caused this problem wow. uh, a number of years ago. Something escaped that, the, uh, that they were working on that, that got into the ticks and a few other animals. And so we, you know, but the, the important thing to really look at is what are we doing to 
confront all of these issues that are impacting us. And the biggest one is that we are having a huge, huge impact on the, on nature mm-hmm. and, and growing cycles and on, you know, on the climate, on, on mm-hmm. things that are then ultimately are going to destroy life as we know it on this planet unless we change. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, but John, let me ask you this. I know you talk about income inequality. I think a big problem is the number of billionaires in relation to the rest of us, that there's a handful of people, maybe two handfuls, who have control more wealth than, you know, 80% of the rest of the world. And you have much of the world, most of the world living in poverty. So people who might prefer to eat organic or to drive an electric vehicle or to drive you know, a, a hybrid or something, um, who can't do these things because funny to be more responsible is more expensive the 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 less healthy stuff than the less responsible ways of doing things tend to be cheaper um and uh the people with all the money are just stashing it away instead of spending it to better the world um this is a big problem isn't it it certainly is and they're not paying taxes they're not uh, paying taxes so these big corporations and these wealthy individuals get huge benefits from our education system, our, our highway system, our port systems, our fire, fire, our fire uh, fighters, and, uh, you know, on and on and on, and they don't pay for it. And they don't pay their share. They don't even come close to paying their share. Many of the corporations don't pay anything. Um, here's another difference with China, and that is uh, China doesn't need to tax its corporations so much because it owns, it, 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 it owns half or more of many of the biggest ones. So it gets the money from the profits those companies make, and it can distribute it any way it wants. The United States, right now, we're arguing over, you know, should should we should we cut back on 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 food stamps? Right. Should we? What do we? What are we going to cut back on? Of course, we never we never we never proposed to cut back on the world's by far largest military force, which is occupying a lot of countries where it shouldn't be. Yep. Uh, but you know, cut cut back on these things uh, rather than suggesting that we tax these corporations that make huge profits and benefit hugely from all this infrastructure that we provide them, and they don't pay for it. So it's, yeah, it, it's a very unfair system, and it's a system that, is, that that allows the people at the top to get away with what I would can only define as corruption. It's legal what they do, right. so for the most part. So legally speaking, it isn't corruption. But in almost any other country, what this what people in the United States do, including all the money that's sunk into political campaigns, most places would consider that to be oh. extremely corrupt. That, you just hit on one of my pet biggest pet peeves, which is we're spending billions of dollars on elections each election cycle. Screw that. Yeah. Give each candidate a set amount that comes from public financing. That's your money. Spend it how you want. And with the rest of the money, fix the planet. Oh, my God. Feed hungry people. Get them out of the cold. Give, give them a roof. I, it, it It is so counterproductive what we do, how we treat humanity, because we don't treat it like humanity. It's We're horrible to the majority of people in the country because of a you know, precious few at the top who control most of the resources. You know, it's not illegal for a Supreme Court justice to take, uh, you know, million-dollar vacations from a donor because they have no ethics rules at the Supreme Court. Are you kidding me? Maybe we need to fix that kind of stuff and stop the people at the top from thinking that they have more rights than the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was recently in uh, Guatemala and Costa Rica and Bahamas and other places in Latin America just a a month or so ago. And, um, and, and it was actually one of the things that happened was I had a group of people coming down. I lead people on trips to, Mm -hmm. to visit Mayans, uh, shamans and and in the Amazon. People want to join me, go to johnperkins.org. Absolutely. I've looked at your trips and they look wonderful. Johnperkins.org. Yes. Come with me, Nicole. Love to have (laughs) you. I would love to. But but in any case, I I arrive uh, in Guatemala waiting for 15 people to join me. 
and I arrived a day or two early, but they were all scheduled to fly in on the time when the whole airport, the, you know, the, all the airports in this country crashed and they got, they stopped all the flights. <laughs> so, so we're waiting for these people to somehow figure out how to get there. And I, I just remember the number of Guatemalan friends and, and, and I've heard this many times in Latin America saying, you know, the United States, you're just the biggest banana republic in the world without bananas. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, I'm laughing because of the the alternative is you cry, right? It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Perversely and, funny. And, you know the the idea of corruption, like you know. So yeah, you may have to pay, pay somebody under the table ten bucks or something, or maybe it's a hundred bucks to get your passport renewed or get something done like that, which we don't usually have to do in this country. Right. But but on the other hand, I don't know of any other country where politicians have to spend a great deal of their time in office raising more money from wealthy people or wealthy corporations so that they can stay in office. It's insane, and it's wrong. Yet, John Perkins, you remain optimistic and even positive about our future. Is that that just because you have to? (laughs) No, it's because history tells us that when human beings reach a crisis point, uh, we we generally pull ourselves out. And Americans have been very, very good at that uh, throughout history. You know, I remember my my, my grandmother talking about she lived through uh, World War One and the, and the Great Depression and the influenza invasion in, in 1918. 1918, right? Yeah, and World War Two, and and she, you know, she, those are desperate times. And and she used to point out, you know, what she had. She said, "I just, you just have to have courage and faith and and patience and take action." And you know, we we pulled ourselves out of some incredibly difficult spots. You know, I was looking the other day at a picture of the Wright brothers' plane, and then at the men landing on the moon in 1969. There was 63 years between those two events. Wow, I think 63 or 65. Something. Anyway, less than 70 years between those two events. That's phenomenal. That is country that can do that can pull us back from the brink of, of of disaster. We have the ability to do that. We have the, you know, and, and we have a, a parent, we have a system that does work when, when it comes together to, to work. You know, we did, we did amazing things. Kennedy said, uh, you know, in early 60s, you know, we'll have a man on the moon by the end of this decade. And it only and took did. nine years. But it's been that long since 69 to 2023. And, eh. well, 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 Nicole, th- think of the changes that have happened in the last 10 years around social issues like gender issues. Uh, you know, 20 years, when I was in college, if anybody said same-sex marriage would be legal, right. they thought they were crazy. If they'd even talked about transgender at all. That's true. But we also uh, have one political party here going ballistic because a trans woman drank a Pepsi or a Bud Light. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, but anyway, you know, I'm optimistic because I truly I I know that perception molds reality. There's just no question about that. That's the basis of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. It's the basis of marketing. It's you know, there is there is no United States. There's no China. There are no corporations. There's no culture. There's no religion, except when enough people have a perception of creating such an entity and then take the actions to make it happen. And we have a, we've created a perception of maximization of, of consumption, of materialistic consumption mm-hmm. and short-term profits. And that's what's driving this. And, you know, it's, I, we can either, we, can, we have two paths we can take. One is that we can say, we're going to change this. We're going to be optimistic. We're going we're gonna to set our minds to changing this. And then we have an extremely good probability of changing it. On the other hand, there are people who want to take the path that says, oh, no, there's no hope. We can't possibly change the situation. If we decide on that, then we're, we're, there is no hope. Uh, so our perceptions mold our reality. There's no question about that. And we need to keep perceiving and that we can turn this thing around, and then we need to take the actions that will make that happen. And part of my book, this new book, the third in the, in the trilogy, it, it goes into detail about what each individual can do to make that happen. And I think that's so important that we sometimes feel as individuals we're not important, but we really, really are important. And, and yes, it's the institutional changes that ultimately will have the biggest impact. But it's we individuals who make the institutional changes happen. We're victims. 
but we're also uh, corroborators. We're, mm-hmm. Every one of us is a consumer. Every many of us are, are employees of corporations or management. We're all we're all deeply impacted by corporations, and, and they are controlling the world. We have a tremendous impact on them in many, many ways that I talk about in this new book. And, and at the book, it, it ends. The last, um, uh, the conclusion is titled, We Each Have a Role to Play to End the EHM, the Economic Hitman Strategy. And then you have a discussion guide. So you're encouraging people to use this as a roadmap to learn to do the right things so we can get on the road to fixing the mess we're in. Yeah. And and in the book, I go into detail about uh, something very personal that everybody can, can do. And that's there's five questions that we can all ask ourselves that I think are extremely important. And the first one is, what do I most want to do for the rest of my life? Hmm. What will give me the greatest satisfaction? Because if we don't do that, we're never going to be successful. We, we may make a lot of money and be unhappy, but we're not going to be successful and you know prosperous in the real sense of the term. And I'd answer that question by saying, I want to write. I love to write. I love to write. I want to keep writing. I have a friend who's a, who's a carpenter, and he was on the opposite end of the spectrum. He'd say, I want to work with my hands in wood. The second question is, how do I do this in a way that facilitates the, 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 the transference of a death economy to a life economy? And I'd answer by saying, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to write about those things. I want to inspire people to get involved. My carpenter friend would say, I'm only going to use sustainable materials. The third question is, what's holding me back from doing this? And as a writer, I might say, well, I just don't have enough time every day to write. And I know to be a successful writer, I got to write something every day. And my carpenter friend might say, well, my, my customers, my clients just, they don't want to pay the extra price mm-hmm. for sustainable mm-hmm. materials. So the fourth question is, when I confront that blockage, when I, when I reach out and see what it is that's holding me back, how do I, can I change my perception that will help me change actions? So I would say is that what I would tell myself is, look, I could turn off the television for an hour a night or maybe two hours and write. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives me another seven to 15, 14 hours a week. That's, I can get a lot of writing done in that amount of time. And my carpenter friend would say, I'm going to tell my clients that the added price is not a cost. It's an investment in the future for them and their children. And the, four, the fifth and final step is, what actions do I take? Every day, yeah, you know, a writer, I got to write. <laughs> and the carpenter has to build these things. He has to tell, you know, I built this wooden cabinet over here. Tell the kids, tell the parents, tell the kids. Or I built this house for you using sustainable materials. It costs a little bit more, but that's an investment. Right. It's like it's like a, a, getting an education or getting training in something. It's an investment. Uh, and so these, these five questions, and I go into detail in the book about how everybody can do this. It doesn't matter whether you're a podcast host a writer, a teacher, a plumber, a welder, a, a, a mother, a father, uh, you know, whatever you do, whatever you are, you can ask these questions. And the last three, the answers to the last three may change frequently. So I suggest to people, they ask them, they ask these, these several times, like, what's That's holding it. me? But So once I've decided I'm going to take two hours off to write, uh, every night, then I get to the next time, <laughs> the blog is, oh, yeah, but what will I write about? And 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 so on. So so it's, a, it's an evolving process, but it's something you can do in you know less than five minutes. I can, I do that. I do it almost every morning, <laughs> and it helps me get up and, and know what I'm going to write about that day. And and I do it in less than five five minutes. I didn't say did I say seconds? I meant minutes. No, I think five seven minutes. minutes. Yeah, gotcha. Five, five minutes. It, it's, you can go through it very very quickly mm-hmm. once you get used to it, and it's extremely helpful. And then remember, it's all oriented around doing what you most want to do for the rest of your life, and doing it in a way that transforms the death economy, how it helps transform the death economy to a life economy. Okay, well, we, we all have to step up. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of information in here, as there is in all your books, uh, John Perkins. Confessions of an Economic Hitman, third edition, got 12 new chapters, a lot of stuff about China. The more we know, the better equipped we are to push back on the the wrong stuff and start doing what we need to do to heal the planet, heal uh, our lives. Cause frankly, they're kind of sick right now. 
all of it. John Perkins, it's so good to have you here. I'm, I'm so sorry for all the drama getting here, but we did it. I, I, I so thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I wish you the best and welcome, welcome you back anytime. Well, you're welcome, Nicole, and thank you for doing all that you do. It's so essential with getting the word out. Like you said, you know, democracy and the future of humanity is based on uh, on self-criticism. We've got to understand what mistakes we've made so we can correct them. And that's, I see that as a large part of my job is identifying the mistakes and then suggesting ways that we can correct them. Always. Well, that's what we have to do and be honest about it. Thank you, John Perkins. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, there you go. See, I told you guys that it was worth waiting for. I mean, that's why I kept saying, oh, shit, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. And, and thankfully we did. And, and I'm glad John was so um, uh, uh, malleable with his time and, and, and flexible and um, put up with my gremlins and everything else going on around here. All right. That's going to do it for today. Tomorrow, Howie Klein is back. Um, Howie was gone the last two weeks, but he's back tomorrow. And we're going to be joined right at the beginning when Howie comes on by Lucas Coons. Lucas Coons, we got to learn, we got to know in the last uh, election cycle because he ran for the Senate um, from Missouri. Unfortunately, um, he lost, but this time he's going up against Josh Hawley and he will win because he's great. So tomorrow, um, you know, I'll, I'll start the show with news. And uh, again, what I started to tell you before, and I didn't want to get into it when John was here. I believe that I'm done with what's news. Um, frankly, um, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm never anything but honest with you guys. Um, I've been doing what's news, uh, this six minute or sometimes longer um, newscast that I record early each morning and it would play all day long on the Progressive Voices channel and I'd play it at the end of the show here. Um, and uh, you know what? I've been, I, I, I'm just, I'm spinning my wheels. Um, I don't get paid for it and I need to start earning money from my work. So those of you watching YouTube today, I'm so sorry, but you noticed ads cut in. Gotta do it. Um, I have been adamant about not putting this show behind a paywall because I because I'm old school radio and radio is free, you know. And the way it works is you would pay for it by advertising by listening to the commercials. Well, we don't really run commercials. I've changed that a little bit lately too, and we'll probably some more. Because I still don't want to put the show behind a paywall. Because I know there are too many people who can't afford to pay five, seven, nine, eleven bucks a month to listen to a show. I know I can't. So I don't want to I don't want to make you pay and say, no, you can't listen if you don't pay. We have too much of that going on around here. So I have to ask you, if you can afford it, if you've got an extra ten bucks a month that won't break the bank, and you enjoy the show, um, please go to NicoleSandler.com slash donate dash two. There's all different ways you can contribute. Um, Yeah, Rick Smith says on YouTube, these vloggers make money doing nothing. Yeah, they do. Um, And, uh, you know, I put a lot of work into it, and I don't make money. So I can't keep going on like this. I need to get an income. So I've stopped doing what's news. Unless someone wants to pay me to do it, then I'll do it. Um, and I'll keep doing this show, but there will be more advertising. And I'll probably have to step up asking for donations. I hate doing it. In case you can't tell, it's one of the things I despise the most, having to ask for money. But as you know, we can't live without it. So there we are. No, I'm not being paid for what's news. And so today I made the decision that I'm not doing it anymore. I'll cover the news on the show. But but that's I just can't. I just can't. So with that, I'm done for today. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, we'll take it from there one day at a time. That's all I can do. All right. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the program if you do. And if you don't, I hope you'll consider it. All right. I'll see you tomorrow.